Up in the night, your heart fills with dread Probably a murderer who wants you dead It could be a ghost, a demon, or worse Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse It's hopeless, you're doomed, you'd call a priest if you could You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood I'm gonna kill you Well, hello and welcome to Freaky Friday Where we tell your odd but true stories It is Friday August 25th. I can't believe the month of August is almost over. I was just thinking that everyone's going back to school. We're gearing up for the fall. I can't say we have the fall because it's over 100 every day here. Ella wanted to put up, or I'm sorry, not Ella, my husband, my 39-year-old husband was like, I think we should put up our Halloween decorations the day after Labor Day. Yeah, we should. Do you mean when it's 103 degrees outside still? Okay. I support that that idea. (laughs) I'll do the same. I'll see if the uh, 12, 15 foot Stay Puft Marshmallow Man will last from, I like to keep him up till New Year's Day because I feel like he's also a New Year's (laughs) decoration. That's true. So So he gets to be up from uh, Labor Day to New Year's. What a nice little adventure for him. Half of the year is just a quarter of the year is just the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. (laughs) But it is so hot in my front yard last night. I went out after you left after our live stream. Thank you everybody for attending the live stream uh, for August. If you don't know on our Patreon, we do a monthly Q&A and you just ask us anything. And last night we got to talking about movies, which got us talking about my fifth grade school picture, which got us talking about kids pictures in general. And so like our childhood photos. So uh, we had a good time. But after that, when you're leaving, I was like, man, my front yard a lot. The weeds have just gone crazy. And I can't. It's 110, right? Like in the daytime, I can't go weed. And I'm not going to, by the way. I'm just not going to go outside and pull the weeds. So it was Mm-mm. like 1030 and only 93. And I was like, all right, put in a Taylor Swift in my headphones. And I was like, I'm just going to do it. I pulled four bags of just like crabgrass and weed and all that stuff. And I felt just as sore as when we left the Taylor Swift concert. <laughs> My back hurts so bad. Dang. I When I was leaving your house, because you walked out to get the mail, and you're like, maybe I'll just pull it right now. And I was like, yeah, I guess that'd be okay. And then I got home, and later you messaged and was like, what do I do with all these weeds? And t- Tommy was sitting next to me when I read it, and I was like, she actually did it. And he's <laughs> like, what? And I was like, she pulled all those weeds in her front yard. It's 1030. <laughs> but you have, that's what we have developed a nocturnal lifestyle yes. because it's uninhabitable during the working hours. When the sun is up, we can't go outside. I've turned into a vampire. I was thinking that I was like, my neighbors are going to think I'm wild because I had on a headlamp, like a camping headlamp. <laughs> and I was on my hands and knees yanking weeds. And then my one of my neighbors came by walking her dog. And I think she said something to me, but it was the 10 minute version of all too well. And I was like, oh. toss the car keys. I was like, I can't right now. I can't. My <laughs> I can't hands, I had, on, I had gardening gloves on and I was like deep in the bushes. I was like, I can't get out right now so now she thinks i'm also weird and rude because i didn't say (laughs) hi but the next time i see her should i be like i didn't talk to you because i was in the bridge part of one of my favorite songs and i couldn't (laughs) pull the airpods out with the gardening gloves on i'm just gonna leave it fuck it but my yard looks great it looks like it happened overnight like you just wake up in the morning and your plants are all nice but your back hurts so just yeah and word to the wise on night gardening it's fun but be careful (laughs) i would be very concerned with um, what I might unearth during the darkness 
I, you know what? We are very connected as besties because as I was pulling the things, I, I heard a voice, was it yours, going, there might be a snake or something in here. <laughs> and then my, ch- I think the inner child in me was like, ah, fuck it. And I just kept pulling. But then I did feel bad because as I was pulling the, some of them, it looked like little like grub worms and eggs and stuff. So I feel bad if I disrupted any insects, but that crabgrass and whatever the hell else those big things were was wrecking my landscape design. Thank you, Outdoor Aesthetics in Dallas, Texas, for my beautiful front yard. And I was like, I can't, Stephanie, who owns it. I was like, our friend Stephanie can't drive by my house and be like, wow, really? She really let it go. <laughs> like, no, you I want to maintain get out there. it. I want to maintain it. So I got out there and did it. But I think n- we should nocturnal. normalize nighttime gardening. Yes. And nighttime everything. Nighttime everything. Have businesses that are open during the night because I have always been a night owl. And when you've got kids, especially, you're like, well, they're finally in bed. I can do the things I need to do. And then you look at your watch, you're like, and Target closes in a half hour. Damn it's a real it. bummer because I'm like, oh, they used to be open until midnight, some even 24 hours. But the pandemic, like everyone in yeah, Dallas true. now closes at 10. Yeah, everything has gone back to, you know, more, I would say more reasonable hours, but maybe then that's fine. If you want to stay open late, just open late. We don't need, maybe we don't open till 10 a.m. I don't know. <laughs> There's going to be a whole nocturnal a 10 p.m. of society. 8 a.m. shift. And some people love that. They prefer it, in fact. When we were, because this this week's episode, one of the the sergeants, she said, oh, my shift was 8 p.m. or 5 p.m. to 8 a.m. And I was like, I could work that. <laughs> work that. Dang. Like, yeah, five days. Yep. But yeah, probably well, could. if you're whether you're uh, listening to this in the daytime or the nighttime, we welcome all to this Freaky Friday. And I hope wherever you are, it's very cool because it is not here and it sucks. Got an ice pack <laughs> in my shirt, literally. So it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to turn the air conditioner off to record for you, wonderful folks. Otherwise, it would sound like I was recording in a, like a, a barnyard and they turned the tractor on. It's so loud. So. That's your dedication to this show is that every time you record, you have to turn it off and y'all don't know how hot that studio gets. But here we are. I'm just, (laughs) I'm excited. I'm hot for you and I'm hot for uh, providing you all with a a lineup of six stories today Mm -hmm. that are odd but true and submitted by all of you. Yes, some very good ones today. So I say we just jump right in. Ready. I'm Christy. I'm Heather. And let's get freaky. This first one is from Meadow, and it is called I'm Trapped in a Cult. Dear Heather and Christy, I just want to say that I absolutely love your podcast, and you two are like the sisters I never had. That part will have even more meaning after you read my story. I am trapped in a cult. I never thought that I would have something to submit to Freaky Friday until last week's episode when a listener found out her mother and grandmother had been Jehovah's Witnesses. I was born into this cult and had been raised my entire life to believe that me and everyone in it are the only good people on this earth, that everyone else is working for the devil, and some will burn up like hot dogs, including children. I did not make that part up about the hot dogs. It was an actual quote by one of the top leaders. It is one of the largest doomsday cults in the entire world, and the indoctrination runs so deep that for years, every time I would question something that didn't make sense, I would tell myself that I couldn't trust my own thoughts. This is a real teaching that we are reminded of frequently. Whenever you start to doubt the main leaders, called the governing body, 
you have to remind yourself that they are being led by God and only they understand the truth and God's ways. Don't question them. That's the devil trying to mislead you. I was so brainwashed that I actually told myself any thoughts contrary to their teachings were the devil tricking my mind. You are programmed not to trust yourself. Here are some things that are commonly taught, encouraged, and pushed. Don't go to college. That's where you will learn lies like evolution and fake history and about other religions. College is Satan trying to mislead you away from the truth. Don't hang out with people who aren't witnesses. They will turn you into a bad person. Definitely don't marry anyone who isn't a witness. Don't question the teachings. Too much questioning and you'll become an apostate, someone who God hates and isn't worthy of life. God will spite you and there is no forgiveness for you ever again. Don't do yoga, celebrate any holidays, wear yoga pants, wear skirts above the knees, have a beard, get tattoos, show your cleavage, say bless you when someone sneezes, wear colorful socks to church, have sex unless you are married, watch porn, masturbate, drink too much, practice magic tricks, make out with anyone, or watch movies rated PG-13 or higher. And the list goes on. And never ask about the child sexual abuse charges that the society has worked years to cover up. Heather, I would love your opinion as a lawyer on these matters. Always go door to door at least Saturday mornings, attend every meeting two times a week, forever, study your Bible every day, volunteer to clean the meeting halls, volunteer to build new meeting halls, do personal and family study, and strive to be a pioneer, someone who preaches 70 hours or more a month. You are to call fellow worshipers brothers and sisters, but are also expected to rat anyone out to elders if you see them doing a no-no behavior. To close out this Freaky Friday, I just want to reiterate that while I don't believe the teachings, I am essentially trapped. Jehovah's Witnesses are indoctrinated to believe that if anyone leaves the religion, they are working for the devil and must be shunned. This includes children. Parents are commended for their strength when children who have left reach out and they ignore them. If I were to tell anyone I had doubts and didn't want to be a part of it anymore, I would lose everyone I know, including my parents. Sexual abuse victims who come out and ask for reparations and apologies are called apostates, devil workers, and treated like garbage. Important doctrine changes are never to be questioned even when they make no sense, and everything is covered up. If you want any more info or have questions, I can help. I also suggest you look into some documentaries about the witnesses and look into the court cases. I even think this could be a multiple-part series. Thank you so much for reading this, and I hope I was able to shed some light on a very dark corner of the world. Oh, Meadow. Well, first of all, thank you for sharing that with us. And that must feel like you really are trapped that you have to choose between maintaining this, you know, kind of false, you you have to follow this thing that you don't really believe in. Otherwise, you give up pretty much your whole entire family. Any religion that tells you that if you, if someone that you love doesn't believe your same things, that you should shun them and no longer talk to them. That isn't any type of practice anyone should have to follow because that strips you of your autonomy, being able to explore your own thoughts and ideas and to say never question anything. When you're taught as a kid, don't question your elders, do everything they say. This is the devil if you start to think this. 
it is a very easy way to cover up sexual abuse because you're not going to have people reporting it. And then if it is reported, it's covered up or it's dealt with internally, which means it's not dealt with at all. It's Mm -hmm. a slap on the wrist, maybe, or you have everybody pray for the victim, but they still have to see their abuser all the fucking time. And sometimes Mm -hmm. they're in their own house. Yeah, the abuser's at home. Or if the abuser is somebody in the church telling them, well, you can no longer Mm -hmm. come to this location, but sure, you can. It's like transferring them to another location. You saw that with some of the sexual abuse in the Catholic church when it was not being addressed and covered up and definitely... Uh, with the JWs, which I used to date a person who was a JW for, we dated for about a year and they had left their uh, family, but the, their family kind of still talked to them, which was like different. Um, I guess they weren't really supposed to, but they did because there was a kid involved and the kid still was a JW and this was the dad, yada, yada. But I heard uh, stories kind of about this shunning and about, you know, when you're 12, 13 years old and you break a rule and you're forced to come to church and sit at the back and have people walk by you as if you're invisible. I mean, can't even address Mm -hmm. you, things like that. And that's just anecdotal, not to mention what Meadow asked about, which is the legalities, the court cases and what's going on. So definitely gives us a lot to, a lot to think about with this and maybe look into some of these documentaries and books and court, uh, court decisions and things like that. Yeah, I think we're going to cover this soon. We covered this in a very, very, one of the very first episodes we ever did that since in the vault because the quality of it sucked. But in that, we interviewed a friend of ours that grew up as a JW who has since left. And all of this tracks with exactly what he said. I mean, he told us... Mm -hmm. All sorts of upsetting stories about what goes on there. And he is married to it. Yes. He's married to a non-JW. And one of the sweetest things about the relationship is since they've been together, he she makes such a big deal out of his birthday. And in fact, like the first birthday they had together, it was like he's turning one because it was the first step for birthday he'd ever been able to celebrate, you know? And so mm-hmm. now um it's like a big thing, but I'm like, you know, not celebrating holidays. That's one thing, but to be told like you can never question anything. And in fact, don't even try to further your education or meet people outside of this bubble because they're the devil. Well, when you do grow up in that, you do feel trapped in meadow. My heart goes out to you because I don't know what I would do in a situation like this. When you're forced to choose between an organization you don't agree with or not being able to talk to your family, that yeah. is a position no one should be put in, especially a child. Yeah, for sure. And the same with the, what Meadow said about sexual abuse victims who do come forward. They're treat, you're, you're called a devil worker. You're called an apostate. Yeah. And you should uh, treated like garbage. I mean, come on. So that I think that's why we're both like, yeah, we should reexamine it from the first because our research also, we you know, we. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> things have I was like, maybe it. we can go back and use some of the notes. And then I looked at them and I was like, these are garbage. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't even know what this says. <laughs> yeah, none of this works. But uh, maybe we'll talk to our friend and see if he'd be willing to come on. Uh, yeah. Maybe share a story on Freaky Friday or something or just have a conversation True. with him separate and see if he'd be willing to chat with us again. Because I think there's a lot here and there's I th- I'm sure there's lawsuits and all kinds of stuff for us to dig through. For sure. Yeah. Well, Meadow, thank you so much for sharing that. and. I hope that your situation improves and there's anything we can do to help. Please reach out and let us know.
Sinisterhood will be right back. Well, this next one is from Anon, and it is called A Toxic Situation. You're not alone, a PSA. Content warning, this does discuss suicidal ideation. Hey, ladies, I've written in a few times, but this time I decided I wanted to be anonymous in case you decided to read this one on the pod. I don't know if the guy involved in this story or his new wife listen, and I don't want to stir up anything. I wanted to share this after hearing the girls from Killer Queens tell their stories. Toxic relationships are sometimes just so hard to see until you're out of them. I wanted to share my story so people feel a little less alone. I'll just get into it. So it was senior year of high school when I started dating a friend of mine who was a grade ahead of me. He had already graduated, but I ran into him while he was helping after school with essentially what was ROTC, and we just hit it off. We had shared a class a few years prior, and we always got along. I was single for once, and so was he. So we ended up getting together. The first month was the happiest I think I had ever been with a guy. He was funny and charming. We had the same taste in music. He was just the right amount of sweet and protective without being obsessive. If things could have just stayed that way, I wouldn't be telling this story. Some days I wish it had. Cut to about seven months later. He started asking things of me that first I was okay with, but they just started to pile up and he started asking things of me I really didn't want to do. For example, it was about a month and a half from graduation, and he said that once I graduated, he didn't want me to talk to any of my friends anymore. He said that he wanted us to start making friends together. He also wanted me to look a certain way, completely different from my body type at the time. These two things compounded, and I told him a hard no. This is where things really started to derail. He had a hard life growing up, without giving away too much of a story that isn't mine to tell. His parents were not in the picture, and he was in foster care until his grandmother got him out. But even she wasn't a peach. I don't know if something triggered this out of him, but once things went downhill, they never went back up. That night, I told him no. He said he loved me and couldn't leave me, but he also could never be happy unless I did these things he asked of me. He even threatened to kill himself right there while we were talking on Skype. I cried, begged, and pleaded with him not to do it. And the only thing that made him stop was by cold calling a mutual friend of his who then texted him to cut it the fuck out. He was so mad that I had, quote, told on him, but he put the pocket knife away. A pocket knife, not a Swiss army knife. So we could talk somewhat more sanely. At some point in this conversation, he seemed to completely change. He was more aloof and indifferent than he'd been earlier. And I asked him just what the hell was going on. Suddenly, he said, he isn't here. This is X. I'm avoiding names again in case he's listening. I was like, well, X, can I talk to him? I knew that there were certain mental disorders or conditions that caused things like this to happen. So I tried to be understanding and take the emergence of this sudden entity in stride. Plus, I had another friend who had a similar issue, so I was sort of used to it. They said no and went on to explain that they were a demon and that they were going to hurt him if I didn't cooperate. Me being the naive Christian girl that I am, said I would have the demon exercised and that I would pray until they went away. Then, when clearly that didn't work, they changed their tune and said they were actually a garden. 
Then when that clearly didn't work, they changed their tune and said that they were actually a guardian angel like Cosmo and Wanda in the Fairly Odd Parents cartoon, only without the magic. There were two other entities that would come up throughout our long-term relationship. All of them were used to guilt trip me into things I didn't want to do. I did love this person and I did want to be with him and make him happy. So in the end, I did it all. By the end of our relationship of about four years, I had gained a ton of weight. I went from 117 to 160 pounds, stopped wearing makeup, cutting my hair and painting my toes. I couldn't play or even talk about a specific video game or wear specific clothes. I had cut ties with all of my friends, including my best friend at the time, who later died in a motorcycle accident. To this day, this is one of my biggest, if not the biggest, regrets I've ever had in my life. I was alone, depressed, and thought about flooring the gas pedal at a stoplight of a busy intersection just to get out of it. I felt trapped. I wasn't even living with him, but I said good morning to him every morning. I told him when I was leaving my home and when I was getting somewhere safely and when I was back. I missed two weddings from family out of state. I stayed in town instead of going to the college of my dreams. Everything was sacrificed for him. And to what end? He ended up breaking up with me because he was working and going to school and didn't have time for a relationship. Looking back, I think I was just so broken, I couldn't put enough love into the relationship anymore. It took a long time to come back from that. There are still fragments of that that I hold on to these days. I'm now married to a different friend from high school. And honestly, if you told the me from then that I'd be here now, I wouldn't have believed you. I didn't realize just how bad of a relationship I had been in until I was outside of it. I later found out that my mother hated that guy and claimed she told me, but I don't recall her ever doing so. I got quite a few of my friends back, but not the one who passed. I miss him every single day and wonder how different my life would have been if I had chosen differently. All this to say, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. There will always be people who love you for who you are, and those are the people worth everything. Not these soul suckers who break you down to feel better about themselves and then leave you at the side of the road when you have nothing left to give. Thanks for reading, and if this ends up on the pod, I hope it helps someone out there get out of the situation they're in. Love you, ladies. Keep being you. P.S. Heather, I'm so glad you found someone that seems to make you very happy. Oh, well, thank you. And I'm glad you got out of that because that uh, relationship sounds very similar to a one that I've been in. It's very toxic and threatening to end your life in front of someone if they don't agree to your terms is a very common form of abuse and yeah. so very damaging and harmful. Not all abuse is hitting someone. You right? know, it's not physical. Like this is traumatic type of yes. abuse and it's all emotional and it's very controlling, making you tell her when she leaves, when she gets somewhere, not letting her wear certain clothes, talk to friends. All of that is classic signs of abuse. And one thing I wanted to address is, Anon, you said that looking back, I think I was just so broken. I couldn't put enough love into the relationship anymore. And then very quickly after, there are still fragments of this situation that I hold on to these days. And I think even that sentence kind of shows that, mm -hmm. that you're still kind of blaming yourself that 
you couldn't put enough love into the relationship anymore. He was not giving you any love. This was all control, abuse, manipulation. Don't blame yourself for anything that happened in this or think that anything was your fault because you didn't do enough. You did way more than you needed to and put up with a lot of abuse because that's what abusers do. They make us feel like we have to do this because they're the only ones that will love us. And they tear you down to where you think if, well, if I don't have them, then I'm going to have nobody. Fuck all that. I'm glad that he decided he was going to end it. So you could be free of all of this, but I would encourage you to say, it wasn't because you couldn't put enough love into the relationship anymore. It was probably because he was ready to move on to a different abusive relationship and start from scratch. Right. He wanted to move that laser beam of abuse to another victim somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And and I would also agree with that because it's not that, oh, Anon, we had a great relationship. And then something after that first month that you did caused him to turn into this monster. The first little bit, while it's so great, they do that on purpose. So you're lured in. You love them. It's love bombing. It makes you feel like you're the only person. And then it is isolation, taking friends away. I mean, she ended up ironically being a bridesmaid um, in my wedding to Paris. But this person I dated said, oh, you don't, my friend Gypsy, you don't even like Gypsy. Let me have your phone. Take my phone away so I don't see texts from her that she's asking me to hang out. He's like, you, why are you going to hang out with her? You don't even like her. And that made me laugh in his face because I love her very much, but it didn't <laughs> keep him from taking that yeah. phone away from me or um, drugging me essentially, you know, be like, well, you need to calm down. I'm going to give you this while you're not looking and you need to calm down. And those behaviors of that you you don't need to spend time with those people. Why are you messaging? And then down to when I finally said, I'm done with this. I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm out. The phone calls I got, the voicemails I got, I'm ready right now. I'm going to kill myself right now. Mm-hmm. If you don't call me back in this instant. And um, I called my brother-in-law at the time, who's one of my best friends and ha- was working kind of in law enforcement. I'm like, what are my responsibilities? What do I do? What do-? And he's just like, that is abuse. Like, and it's so, and my, my sister's there too. You know, I'm so glad I had those, those people around to clearly say that because that is an emergent moment. And I had the, the benefit of being much, much older than what Anon is describing. Anon was so much younger to have this abuse happen. Mm-hmm. But it is when you're in that situation, and especially if you, you're like, this is imminent and happening, and this person has got a knife out and is telling me I'm the reason why they're about to hurt themselves. In the moment, it's very easy to go, oh my gosh, I'm the only one who can save them because they've put Mm -hmm. you in that position. And it really is hard. And it takes either somebody telling you or the benefit of, you know, wisdom and knowledge of hindsight that you just don't happen to have back then to go, no, man, this is a choice you're making. You're Mm -hmm. doing this. I'm holding my boundaries to say I am. I demand a partner that respects me. I am, will not be held responsible for anything that you do because the National Domestic Violence Hotline flat out says a partner that threatens to harm themselves because of you is absolutely a form of emotional abuse. Oh, for sure. And we see yet again that Anon had to reach out to, I don't know uh, how the friend identified, but probably most likely a guy friend that she had to call and then a guy has to step in to tell the other guy hey knock it the fuck off which we've seen so many times the woman saying please stop doesn't do anything but another guy stepping in is like okay fine but then he just switched tactics to this demon thing and it sounds like he may very well have a mental health disorder it sounds like he suffered a ton of trauma 
in his childhood and teenage years. Mm -hmm. However, that does not give anybody the right to abuse mm -hmm. another person. And it certainly shouldn't be used as a uh, guilt trip to get someone to stay with you. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. Having to call that friend, like you said, likely a male friend, anybody who's ever like, we don't live in a patriarchy. First of all, we do. It's obvious. You don't counsel man, chair man, you know, like the word man is in a lot of stuff, but understanding human. that human. Yeah. But understanding that a lot of times the only thing that'll get a guy to back off is another guy. And man, mm -hmm. I wish we lived in a world where just no was great, which is just sufficient. Yeah. Well, I'm so very glad, Anon, that you got out of that and you're in a happy relationship now. And I hope that you're, you continue to work on your journey of healing. Agreed. And take what Christy said to heart. It's not your fault. You did not do anything. It's not that you didn't love enough or you weren't good enough or anything enough. No. You are enough as you are now. And you were enough back then. He was just dot, dot, dot. People like that, no one is ever going to be enough. And that's, yeah. they do that by design. So you're always trying to strive and impress them and stuff. It's how they keep you under their thumb and controlled. For so sure. when you decide, Hey, uh, I'm enough and I'm not going to put up with this anymore. Obviously easier said than done, but, but yeah, luckily having good people in your life that like you did to say like, this is abuse, like get the fuck out. If you see that happening to a friend or family member, like see something, say something. Cause a lot right. of times, like Anon said, when you're in it, you don't realize how toxic it is until you're outside of it. And you're like, Oh my God. So if someone on the outside sees it and it, a lot of times people don't want to hear it and they don't want to say it, but if it could save somebody's life. And it for me, it was having friends in my life, me relaying stuff to them and them not going, Oh, Heather, you idiot. What have you done? It was Oh, huh. Well, how did how did you feel when he said that to you? Like almost mm -hmm. kind of trying to get me to come to it on my own. And I was like, oh, well, I felt controlled. And I, I felt, you know, this. And it, it empowers you to get out on your own versus, you know, having a friend in a situation and lecturing them. I felt yeah, very empowered definitely. and I'm, I'll be forever grateful. That's amazing. Sinisterhood will be right back. Well, this next one is from Sierra, and it is called I Had Sex with a Murderer. In content warning, this story contains discussion of sexual coercion. Hi, I've wanted to share this story for a while, and I finally have the chance to sit down and write it. In 2017, I matched with a guy on Tinder. This guy was really nice over messages, and we decided to hang out at his house. When I was there, I met his brother briefly. This comes into play later. We hung out, and after a few hours, we had what I thought was fully consensual sex. However, I noticed that he had propped up his phone to record, and I asked him to stop. He gave me an excuse about how he wanted to save the video only for himself. Being that I always go to worst-case scenario mode, I didn't want to argue it anymore. I was worried I would make him mad. I tried to explain it away in my head that maybe he just didn't have the social awareness to know filming someone like that without consent is not acceptable. However, I got a bad feeling after that and went home. I didn't message him anymore. A few months later, I was watching the news with my dad, and I was shocked to see a news segment on this guy. He had gotten into a fight with his brother and stabbed him to death in the apartment I had been in just a few months earlier. I didn't tell anyone. It freaked me out so bad to know that the bad vibes I got from this guy were totally on point. I was truthfully embarrassed that I had ever had an interaction with this person. 
I was really grateful that nothing worse happened to me, and I felt really terrible for his brother, a person I'd only met for a few minutes, but it felt surreal to know he was dead. I moved on and forgot about him until another few months passed. I got a Snapchat message from this guy. He asked me if I wanted to hang out. He said he really liked me and wanted to see me again. I was so confused. Was he not in jail for murder? I did some investigating and saw that he was out on bail awaiting trial. I did not want anything to do with him. I have a problem with not being assertive at all, so I didn't know how to decline. But I finally decided to politely decline and said that I liked him too. Big lie. But I was in a relationship. Big lie. And I wished him the best. He was cool about it and that was that. Two days later, guess who is back in the news? This guy. He had been arrested this time for threatening a girl. The story goes that he messaged this poor girl and she was way less polite when telling him no way. He got mad at the rejection and told her he would kill her and then threatened to post her nudes all over the college campus she went to and send the photos to her parents. I, again, was so relieved to have dodged this bullet and felt absolutely horrible for the girl he was harassing. This story ends with what I think is the most chilling part of the whole experience. I went to a book reading event for a true crime book and got to talking to the group and we shared stories. I shared this story with the group. I did not share the name of this guy. However, one girl in the group asked me, was his name X? I said, yes, that is him. What she said next, I'll never forget. I probably shouldn't be telling you this, but I worked on the case against him and I reviewed evidence from his phone. I knew you looked familiar. My mind flashed back to the videos he took without my consent. I felt sick. I still sometimes wish she never said anything, but other times I'm glad to know. This guy never served time. He was sentenced to probation, and he even has a son now. I don't know all the details about the case, and I do hope justice was fairly served. But I really hope I never interact with this man again. Oh, oh my God. Oh, Sierra. Oh, my gosh. All of this is just so upsetting from the being recorded and knowing you don't want to be recorded. But like we just said in the other story, you feel as a woman in these situations powerless because if I say something that might piss this guy off, who knows what could happen? And it looks like your instincts were very much correct. Absolutely, especially seeing it was a fight with his own brother. He was willing to do that. That is horrifying. And then later with another girl, like when yes. she says like, no, I mean, so yeah, we shouldn't have to, when a guy hits us back up, be like, oh, I'm actually in a relationship. Because again, it takes being threatened by another man for that man to back off. But that is the world we live in. And this is mm -hmm. a very good example of if she hadn't, the there's a good chance she would have been the girl that was being harassed and was on the news instead of two days later, he hits up a different girl to try the same thing. Yeah, you're right. It's like even an imaginary man, even, you know, your fake boyfriend that you make up is a more acceptable and palatable answer to this man other than just a flat out no from a woman. Mm -hmm. And that's why it really is dangerous for you just as a woman to say no to a man. And this is... 
it makes me sick to my stomach to think about that feeling that Sierra must have had when that woman said, oh, I've seen oh. that video of you. Because you, as Sierra, you think, Yikes. oh, well, you know, it's probably it's been deleted or it's corrupted or it's gone or whatever. But I would like to uh, implore for everybody listening and what would hopefully help people like Sierra, people like me, I know there are photos of me that I've sent to other people that somebody who was very abusive, who I may have talked about already in this episode is in possession of. And I would like for you, if you received that as a parent, as an employer, as a school, as the news to tell the person sending you this, I'm deleting this. Fuck you. She's allowed mm-hmm. to take and disseminate whatever images she wants. And I don't give a shit that you sent this to me. I'm not embarrassed of her. I'm not ashamed of her. I'm not going to fire her. And I don't care. And fuck you. Because I think the second we take the power out of this, that doesn't stop them from uploading the stuff. That's why it's so vital, so vital to, for states to have revenge porn statutes and for us to have these legal protections, civil legal protections for people who've been recorded without their consent or with their consent. And then it's disseminated. Or, you know, criminal penalties where they go to jail or, you know, they're fined or whatever. But I think that that can only go so far. And the more that we as a society say there is nothing harmful or inherently wrong with taking nudes as if and doing with them what you want to do with them subject of the photo. It's the person trying to send them out and they're trying to wield power like I'm going to send this to your boss and your employer and everything. I think we all need to say, send away, motherfucker, because we don't care what she did. You're the bad guy here. Mm-hmm. You're the bad person here. She did nothing wrong. And it sounds like in this case, the woman who disclosed she had seen this was maybe in law enforcement or oh, yeah, she's something where she kind of had to see it. But absolutely, yes. There's If consensually you want to send nudes, you want to send whatever – that's do whatever you want. Know that it could, it could be sent somewhere else. And I think that's, you know, especially with like young girls in, I have middle school teacher friends say it even happens in middle school, which no girl, no. me yeah. so much because well, those boys are going to show a bunch of people. And yeah, I mean, so, but if you're an adult and it's consensual, this was not consensual. She felt pressured into agreeing to it i don't know though that this woman that saw this in the sense of like a law enforcement or social worker or whatever thing should have told her she saw this i wondered about that i was more thinking about the the gal that was threatened to post the nudes over the campus and send them to her parents yes yes yes, for sure i was more focused on and i would say if you're a college student and you see a girl's nudes posted be a fucking ally and rip that shit the Mm -hmm. fuck down and throw it away and be like i'm not gonna sit here and giggle and laugh and take pictures i'm standing up against the people who are doing this shit and it ain't gonna work And you just cut them off at the knees and go, we're not going to let you do this. We're taking them all down. But I see what you mean. Yeah. If they're a social worker, a law enforcement, whatever, an attorney on the case, unless they, you know, we're going to, they, I would say, go back to your office and say, hey, I think we identified one of the victims on this phone. Maybe we could send like a letter in the mail officially versus just walking up to somebody. I don't know. It is like a 50 50 because you want to know, but you don't want to know. It's hard. uh, Like, like we say, with you know the buddhist approach is this kind is this helpful yeah i don't know that it was i mean she said sometimes she wished she never said anything other times she's glad to know so maybe i don't know that i would want to be after just sharing that story face to face with someone that's like yeah i saw that sex tape 
It's yeah. like, okay, well, I guess I'll never come to this book group again. And now, like, all of that shame and feeling mm-hmm. that I felt when I was victimized comes rushing back. Yeah, and it's one thing to say, come up and say, hey, I worked on the case, and I want you to know that if you're concerned about the that video or something, you can reach out to my boss. It's so-and-so. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. But, yeah, I think kind of coming up and just dumping the existence on them on Sierra right away. I mean, I'm sure she was well-meaning and probably just shocked, honestly, but it's still like, was it helpful? Was it kind? I don't know. Also, is it against your moral ethics and code of whatever your job is? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm not sure. I don't know what their role (laughs) is, but I shouldn't be telling you this is what they started. And I worked on the case. Well, that's, you know, a short list of probably jobs then. Right. So, well, Sierra, thank you for sending that in. And um, like the stories before, too, all three of these stories touched on sexual abuse, sexual coercion, and how important it is for whenever we see things like this happening, whether it's happening to you or like Heather said, you see it happening to someone else, regardless of age, Mm -hmm. shut it down, do something. If you see something, say something. Don't feel like you have to keep it uh, a secret because of a religion. Don't feel like, Oh, well that's funny. Oh, she's 20. So like, whatever they were messing around. So just because a picture of her boobs are all over campus, like, haha, that's fucking mortifying. And that's mm-hmm. the type of shit that makes people kill themselves. Like, Truly. you know, I mean, like be an ally, like you said, let's normalize that. Like, this is not okay and normal and take back the power that someone mm-hmm. that is clearly recording someone so they can blackmail them later if they want to. That's why they're doing it. Absolutely. Like we say it to each other before we go on stage before I got your back, have mm-hmm. your, be your friends keepers, like have their back. Cause I think or that's even the way strangers, like that's you said, if strangers. you're on a college campus yeah. and you're like, why is this girl's picture? Like that clearly she wouldn't want everyone to see like posted in the, quad rip that shit down don't don't stand for stuff like that right i think younger me would have been like Ugh, i don't know what that is i don't want to get involved but as a 36 right. year old i hope i can empower who younger me's that will be empowered older like let's get empowered younger don't wait until you're for in your sure. 30s to be like fuck yes. them they're not they're wrong and i'm standing up and saying something i just have so much regret not standing up sooner um mm-hmm. so i'm as many as others we can all do it together i feel that way too i'm oftentimes like I'm about to re-enroll in college and just fucking <laughs> go in there with a 44-year-old attitude and be like, let me tell you young youngsters what the fuck's going on. And just like, I, I mean, because I too feel like, honestly, they would probably teach me stuff no because more. I feel they like this what. generation is very woke. Obsessed. But there is so much knowledge and like confidence and, you know, just like awareness I have now that I didn't have then. Like you said, If we can do anything to impart that on a younger version of ourselves, we will. Right. Watching TikTok, we might not need to because I'll see some TikToks. I'm like, fuck yeah, I'll follow you right now. And then you go to their Mm -hmm. profile. It's like 21. I'm like, whatever. You're smart as hell. Let's go. Let's roll. (laughs) Right. Like, you know what you're talking about. (laughs) Sinisterhood will be right back. Well, this next one is from Brandy Aaron, and the subject line is, The time my dad ran into Ted Bundy at the gas station, kind of. Hello, ladies. Hope this message finds you well. 
I could wax poetic for hours about how I think you're both incredible and about how much I adore the show, which you are, and I do. In the interest of time, I'll just say that your comedic bits get repeated with great regularity in my household. Heather's brush with the air conditioner ghost and your descriptions of the Loveland Frogman are popular go-tos. This story is not my own. It belongs to my father, but he has given me permission to share. It's not necessarily a story with great twists or a huge payoff. It's just a snapshot of life in the late 70s, and also maybe an example of the naivete for murder and violence that children lost during the golden age of the serial killer, a kind of cultural end of innocence. My dad is a great storyteller, and I always found this one compelling. Even though it happened several years before I was born, it has always freaked me out. So, as Christy always says, let's get into it. Back in 1977, my dad was a 22-year-old kid working at one of the petumnus coal mines of Colorado, just around 15 miles outside of Aspen. He was a welder by trade, but also worked as an oiler, maintaining and repairing the mine's machinery, a job that frequently required him to work the graveyard shift. The evening of June 7th was like any other. He hopped into his brown Ford F-250 and headed toward the mine to make his shift start time. Before he could make it to work, he was stopped by a large police roadblock on the outskirts of Aspen. The way he describes the scene is always so eerie to me. The tense faces of the police officers as they searched the cars in front of him. It had just turned twilight. Officers patrolling with their high, ready grips on their shotguns. Just the general feeling that something terrible had happened. An officer finally approached his truck. His eyes lingered over Dad's face for a concerning moment. Finally, he asked if my dad would step out of the car so he could search inside. Dad noticed the officer was also incredibly keyed up and a little shaky, possibly from too much adrenaline. Still, not knowing what the hell was going on, Dad attempted to ease the tension by joking to the officer that he'd be happy to give him the whole damn truck if he wanted it. It seemed to work as the cop smiled softly, glanced inside the cab, and waved him through. Dad couldn't imagine what the hell it was they were looking for anyway. Later, Dad learned it wasn't so much what they were looking for, but who. Earlier that day, Ted Bundy had escaped from the Pitkin County Courthouse and was still at large. Living in and around Aspen during those six days of Bundy missing as a fugitive was an unnerving experience. My dad likens it to a strange type of hypervigilance where everyone was watching each other a little more closely as the days wore on. Bundy's face became a ubiquitous image in the region, in rotation on the TV and plastered on flyers everywhere. At the time, my dad was living with his brother, sister-in-law, and his four-year-old niece, Chelsea. Chelsea had seen Bundy's face so many times, she started to call him Bungo Bungo and would call him out anytime his face was on the news. On the third day after Bundy's escape, my dad had taken his niece along with him to a gas station to get some things. The station was an extremely busy place, frequented by trout fishers, locals, and other tourists to the area. As they left with their purchases, Chelsea's eyes widened. She pointed to a man leaning against a gas pump. Dad was unaware what she was looking at until she started screaming, Bungo Bungo! It's Bungo Bungo! Dad attempted to comfort her, not knowing what Bungo Bungo even meant. He hadn't been around when she had called it out to the TV. Dad said she finally screamed out, Ted Bundy! It's Ted Bundy! At that point, people had begun to gather and also look curiously at the man next to the pump. 
He was average height with a slim build. He had dark hair and a short beard. And my dad said he did, in fact, look a lot like Ted Bundy. Long story short, it wasn't him. And my dad scooped his niece up before she could incite a Richard Ramirez-esque vigilante siege. The real Ted Bundy was picked up by cops three days later, only a few miles away from Chelsea's Bungo Bungo station. Like I mentioned, the story isn't one of great twists. It's not even a first-person brush with true crime. But it did scare me enough that I couldn't watch anything Ted Bundy-related until a few years ago. Just the thought that my dad was potentially so close to and could have realistically crossed paths with such a monster was unsettling. And, in case you're wondering, Chelsea has no recollection of the Bungo Bungo incident. So, there's that. Maybe one twist, though. After writing this story, I was looking for a photo of my dad that would have been taken around this event. I finally found one, and while I was scanning it with my phone, I suddenly realized that my dad also looked a lot like Ted Bundy at the time. Now, I can't help but wonder if the officer who looked in my father's car had experienced his own bungo bungo moment before cooler heads prevailed and he was waved on through. Scary times indeed. I've included the photo. Please enjoy the garish faux velour sofa in all of its 1970s glory. Dad is holding his newborn nephew, whose figure I've obscured for privacy. Thank you so much for all the hard work you put into the podcast. Oh, baby, Aaron, your dad is very 70s in this photo. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. The The couch is immaculate. That velour, the two-toned, what a pattern. Also, matches the curtains behind it. Gosh, this is like Golden. my grandparents' house. For Yeah, like everything is like the same fabric throughout. Harvest gold. It's all harvest gold. <laughs> That's like the very color. autumnal. Like <laughs> yes, autumnal. But yeah, I can see the the must up. You know, Bundy had that chestnut kind of must hair. I mm-hmm. can see how if you're a cop who's like, I don't know, what do you is this? Get out of What's the car. What's going on in here? Hang on a minute. Where'd you get this truck? Yeah, have but that. But that's moment. also the thing is like Bundy kind of had this like every man seventies look that right. I think a lot of people it would be easy to be like, oh, he kind of looks like hmm. him. So. You know, it's probably a hard time for people that shared uh, similarities to be like, no, just like when Gabby Petito and everyone kept saying, oh, I think I've spotted her perpetrator. Yes. And if you were a bald man during that time, it was a rough go for you. Right. Yeah. It was kind of like everybody saw him everywhere. But I hear Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's the. My uncle Jerry did the same thing in the 1940s because that photo of Ted Bundy being all up, especially in this area of Aspen, you know, a little kid like like Brandy Aaron's cousin Chelsea is like, I, you know, she doesn't she's just a kid. She just knows it's a face. Mm-hmm. And my uncle Jerry was born in the 40s. My grandfather was in World War Two and wasn't around. My grandfather had a mustache. There were, as you can imagine, in the 1940s, Time magazine, the news, photos of Adolf Hitler everywhere. Adolf Hitler had a mustache. My grandmother would show photos of my grandfather to my Uncle Jerry saying, this is daddy, daddy, this is daddy, teaching him daddy. And that really backfired when she's in the grocery store and holding Uncle Jerry and he's trying to grab a hold of the Time magazine with Hitler going, daddy, 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 that's (laughs) my daddy, daddy, daddy. And she's like, not daddy. And then people are like, what, what? He's like, daddy, daddy. You just, the the kids don't know. The kids can't determine. (laughs) They just know similarities of faces. 
they can't necessarily. But Mama loved to tell that story about Uncle Jerry. Be like, she thought he thought Hitler looked like his daddy for a minute <laughs> until he got back from the war. But yeah, that God, that's got to be such a time though in those faces, especially in Aspen, where he is Ted Bundy has leapt out of the courthouse. Yeah, and could be from the anywhere. second story window. Yeah, nobody knows where he's stealing cars all over the place. And I, I like that that of it was a time where like everyone in the town was looking out for each other there everyone yes. was on a little more high alert and that's what you want to see in these situations is a community come together to protect one another and uh catch that shitbird, which we've yeah. always maintained uh he sucks well thank you very much brandy aaron and please pass our regards along to your father for allowing you to uh, share that story with us absolutely well this next one is from jen and the subject line is the homemade bomb in the woods story. Hey ladies, just figured I'd finally send in the homemade bomb in the woods story I alluded to in my The House That Hell Wanted backstory. I even consulted with my ma for details that I may have forgotten, and she has confirmed everything within. Strap in. When I was about six, in the early 90s, my family went out camping. Ma, my sister, and myself. For clarity's sake, I live in southern Alberta, close to the Rocky Mountains, so going out camping in the mountains slash brush isn't too out of the norm. This particular trip, we went along with my aunt and uncle, plus my two cousins, ages 10 and 6, to a place near what is ominously called Dead Man's Flats within the Kananaskis area of Alberta, the name of which came from accounts of a grisly murder in 1904 where a man killed his brother with an axe while he was sleeping and disposed of his body in the river. But I digress. We're getting off topic. We got to our site in a mostly busy but very wooded campground in the early afternoon and started setting up. Aunt and uncle were setting up their camper, my ma with our tent. Even though this is 100% bear country, us kids were kicked out of the campsite and sent off to play to get us out of our parents' hair for a while. It's early 90s parenting, am I right? So off we trek into the woods to explore the area and just do what kids do. We were gone probably two hours when my sister, age 11, and my cousin, age 10, stumbled on an open cardboard box in the tree line, not far from our campsite, but with an eye shot of our exact site. They called myself, six, and my other cousin, also six, over to see what they had found. It was full of weird-looking stuff, like pipes, wires, and just mechanical-looking junk. We didn't think much of it, but we decided to mention it to our parents at supper because it was kind of weird to find this stuff out in the woods. My ma, my aunt, and my uncle, ma's brother, asked us to take them to whatever it was that we found. They took one look at it and immediately panicked. We were ordered back to the campsite and into my uncle's trailer with instructions to stay down and under no circumstances were we allowed to look out the windows. My uncle then jumped into his truck and hauled ass away from our site. We thought we were in huge trouble because we found something we shouldn't have and we were worried that we'd have to pack up and go home. A devastating prospect for four kids who had been dreaming of campfire marshmallows for weeks. It was starting to get dark out and when we peeked out the windows we saw park rangers all over our campsite cordoning off our area because we were in a national park. And then the RCMP, they showed up and started evacuating people camping near us. We all thought, oh, man, we really did it this time. We're all going to get arrested. We're all going to go to jail. We could hear helicopters flying overhead. And all the flashing lights from the Rangers trucks and the RCMP cars were clearly visible in the dark of the trailer. 
Then the bomb squad out of Edmonton showed up. It turns out that someone had placed a box full of homemade explosives, including pipe bombs, in the tree line near our campsite. And us inquisitive kids had inadvertently stumbled across that cache of bombs. We never did get evacuated ourselves, oddly, but we were able to sneakily watch through the camper windows to see the bomb squad's robots go into the trees and get the box, and the squad detonate the explosives away from our site. The police and park rangers thanked us kids for finding the stuff and let us sit in their cars for a few minutes. But the real kicker to this adventure? We didn't even get to stay up late and roast marshmallows. Our parents thought that was all enough excitement for us kids and sent us to bed instead. We woke up the next morning to bear tracks all throughout our campsite and the neighbors gossiping about what had taken place the night before. Hilariously, everyone decided that we would finish out our five-day stay because what's the worst that can happen after finding literal bombs in the woods? I've spent weeks scouring websites and archives to find a news article to corroborate all this, but I've come up empty-handed. If not for my family members and their memories of the same, I would almost think it was an insane fever dream. As per my mom, they never did find out who had put those homemade bombs in the woods, but it definitely left us with a story of the wildest camping trip we've ever had. Thank you so much for all the hard work you both do, for the community you've built, and for giving us a sounding board for our own freaky stories. Sending love from Canada. Oh my God. What? Lord. No. The very first thing I want to say is these children saved everyone's lives, (laughs) so give them all the marshmallows that they want. Right, a whole bag. Dump the whole bag in the fire and just get a fork out and eat it. It's like a giant marshmallow, (laughs) like, cauldron. Because the fact that the bomb squad not only came with the robots and then had to take them and detonate them, those were real, like, live bombs. Yeah. Yeah. Holy shit. God. Why somebody would leave that, I I have no answer, but it's nothing positive. Mm -mm. And you just happened to stumble upon that, man. Whoopsie. I'm glad that the yeah, I'm glad the adults were like, okay, go show us this and weren't just like, ah, whatever. They probably just saw some stuff and it's not a big deal. Cause no, it's uh literally everyone got called <laughs> right? to deal with this. So it was a very big deal. Right. Cause you just think like, well, it was kids, but you don't know if they bonk into the box and that detonates something or some other person camping is smoking and they flick an ash and it blows oh, everybody. Right? Like you just having that so close is so eerie, but you're right. I mean, it's good for the kids for telling and good for the parents for taking it seriously. But you're like, <laughs> well, we got four more days here. I guess, uh, I guess we're staying cause, uh, surely helicopters and bomb squads won't come out tomorrow. Right. We're good. Right. <laughs> keep- but. You do have the bears, and that's another thing. You get a bear bonking into that thing. There's goddamn talk about you've heard of cocaine bear. That <laughs> it's like the least of your problems when you got bomb bear just right. running around the fucking forest with a box of bombs. Yeah, pipe dropping bomb them everywhere. Is- they could go off at any time. But also, the bears just being bears walking through your camps. I don't know. If I'm going to stay in a campsite where there's bear tracks the next morning, but I'm also not an avid camper. So perhaps that's normal and it's not something to be super alarmed about. But I personally, when the the most wildlife I've seen camping was a giant raccoon when I was trying (laughs) to be discreet at my daughter's school camp out and I was trying to pee in the woods at night (laughs) and this big ass raccoon put me on blast and I started screaming. (laughs) <laughs> it was so He's like, what are you huge. doing? 
people all around were like, oh my God, that's the biggest raccoon I've seen. I was like, yeah, it's fucking huge. It was trying to get into our, uh, you know, like you hang up a garbage bag for all your trash. Oh, and no. it was my fault because I was going pee too close to the trash. And so it, I was in their territory, but <laughs> it wasn't a bear, which is, but it was enough for me to be like, I don't think I want to be okay. out here anymore. No, that's why you notice every time Paris and I go camping, we rent a van off of outdoorsy.com with the doors that lock. And I'm like, I need like a bed and an air conditioner, but I would mm-hmm. love to go to the woods. I just need some amenities. Though. That's, so, that's what I need. I will go to the fine. woods and sleep in a locked cabin. It mm-hmm. right smack dab in the middle of a, you know, isolated forest. But I want to have some doors. Yeah, I like doors. That's why we like that storyteller that we just rented because it has four by four. And when we were in there, I told Paris, if the shit went down and we needed to leave in one second, he was like, yank that sunshade down, give me the keys and we're out. Like, we don't have to unplug from anything or whatever. I was like, what does it say about me that I'm like, I am very comfortable as long as I can escape immediately if I hear (laughs) anything. He was like, whatever. (laughs) I feel safe. (laughs) I was like, good. Well, yeah. I love that though. It's also easier to like just travel. Yeah. Go around from spot to spot. You don't have to pick all your shit up every time. That's why I admire people that have their own vans, but I like to rent a van because I'm like, someone's like, well, if you had a van, you could drive anywhere. I'm like, I don't want to drive that far. I want to fly to Oregon and then get a van and drive around for a (laughs) few days and then fly home. I don't have to drive all the way back home. Right. But yeah, yeah. I think uh, that if you have to encounter anything in the woods, I would go with in order of preference. I would like Giant raccoon from Christie's camping trip, then cocaine bear, then pipe bomb bear is the last thing I want to encounter. <laughs> Agreed. Hard agree. Bottom. Bottom of my list. Sinisterhood will be right back. Well, this last one is from Amber, and the subject line is, my badass S.I.L. Hello, my sinister sisters. I plan to save the brown nosing for the end of my story, so I'll just jump right in. My sister-in-law, Stephanie, is a complete badass. She's currently a breast cancer fighter, a mother of two awesome teenagers, helps run our statewide 911 communication system, and puts up with, and more importantly, loves, my brother who came running out of the womb with ADHD. I met Stephanie in junior high when I started dating her younger brother. She was head cheerleader, smart as hell, and sweeter than anyone I'd ever met. I immediately introduced her to one of my older brothers, and they hit it off. For whatever reason, she stuck to him like glue, seeing him as her diamond in the rough, I suppose. Stephanie helped him grow into a wonderful husband, father, brother, friend, and human. Believe me, as his little sister, I didn't think it was possible. I was a young mother, and it comes along with the territory that I was broke as hell. The tiny apartment I rented had a washer, but no dryer. My mom constantly begged me to do laundry at her house, but I refused, instead washing the laundry at my own apartment, then lugging my laundry basket full of wet clothes and a newborn baby to her house a couple times a week to use her dryer. It was during one of my dryer borrowing trips that this story takes place. I was on my parents' couch with a fussy baby, jiggling and singing and praying for him to take a nap while waiting on my clothes to finish. I heard our family's beloved German shepherd, Chance, begin to make a weird whining noise. This was odd for him, as Chance was the goodest of good boys in our family and had a specific bark he used when any of us drove up and walked up. If a stranger happened to stop for any reason, heaven help you, he was a fierce protector and ran several cable guys and meter readers from our yard. I peeked out the small window of the heavy wooden door to see Chance cowering and whimpering on the corner of the porch, 
while a strange man got right in his face, baring his teeth and laughing. I glanced out the other door, which faced the driveway, to take note of the man's car. But there was no car. He had walked there. I immediately knew this situation was all wrong. Chance, under any normal circumstance, would have never let a stranger up on the porch, let alone that close or in his face. I felt a hot wave of panic come over me. Fight or flight took hold. But as a lover of all things true crime from my childhood on, I knew exactly what to do. I picked up the phone and called my sister-in-law, Stephanie. She and my brother lived on the next road over. In our rural town, we don't have streets. But Stephanie could get to me in less than a minute. The police station was a good 30 minutes from our area of the county, of no real use in an emergency, that's for sure. Stephanie had worked for 911 dispatch for years at this point, and I knew she could get me through this. She calmly told me to hold tight. She'd be right there. I expected her to come down the driveway slowly, get out of the vehicle, and maybe even ask the man if she could help him. But today, Steph must have felt froggy, a relative of John Hopper. She comes flying down the dirt road doing about 65 miles an hour with a fucking handgun pointed out the window, firing into the air and yelling at this man. I was in shock as my sister-in-law is normally a very level-headed, mild-mannered sweetheart. The man took off running in the woods as Stephanie made her way to the house. After determining that my son and I were okay, she called 911 and had police dispatched. In the meantime, she also called the fire department up the road and had them patrolling the neighborhood looking for the man since it would take so long for the cops to arrive. One of them spotted the man in a nearby church parking lot and asked what he had been doing at my parents' house. He told them that he had a friend who once lived there but must have moved away. This was not true at all as my mother had this house built for her while she was pregnant with me. No other person or family had lived there besides us. Needless to say, the man was long gone before police ever arrived. What was he there to do? Was he there to break in, steal some valuables, and be on his way? Or something more malevolent? Had he watched as an 18-year-old girl and a three-month-old baby gotten out of her car and went into this home, thinking now is his chance to do something horrible and get away with it? I'll never know, and honestly, I don't want to know. But I do know that something scary would have happened had Stephanie not come when she did to protect her husband's little sister and her newborn nephew. I am forever grateful for her fearlessness and her grit that day. Pics of the badass herself are included. Thank you guys for being awesome friends to all of us introverts. As long as I have your podcast and a set of headphones, I never feel alone. No matter what I'm doing, from grocery shopping and cleaning to tackling being the director of my county's one and only cat rescue, you two are with me through it all. Your laughter and delight in all things weird is a salve to my soul, especially on the bad days. Well, we all need a Stephanie in our lives because... Hell yes, Stephanie. I don't want to say I laughed out loud, but I did laugh out loud thinking of her flying down this dirt road, just shooting a gun out the window. Because while she may be level-headed on most days... When you get a call from your sister-in-law that you love, that her and your nephew are in potential danger, your level-headedness goes out the window. It's handgun out the wind, <laughs> screaming at the guy who's on the porch time. 
Exactly. It's like, I, oh, you said there's a person acting bizarrely on your porch. Let me act real fucking bizarre and get him out of the neighborhood. It's like, that's an old Dane Cook bit. He's like, you got to act weirder than that person that you think is threatening. Mm -hmm. And then you just throw him off their game. And so he, yeah, I don't know what he was there for. I hate the visual of like leaning down, gritting your teeth at a dog to like scare the dog or intimidate it. That's just creepy to me. And yeah, for whatever, if he had a regular business being there, I imagine he probably we wouldn't have sprinted off away into the woods and then lied later to law enforcement. So that's just, we all need that, uh, that family member who's like, I'm on my way. <laughs> I'll be right there. Yeah. Uh, some of us are that family member and some of us, you know, have one of those family members. I but, think I am that family. Oh, member. certainly. Yeah. Oh, me too. <laughs> yeah. I'll be like, I'll come make a mess, whatever. Yeah. We're, I'll be right there. Yeah, it's like, what, you need me to jump in? Yeah, whatever, let's do it right now. But yeah, I have a, a couple of cousins that are about the same way too. My my brother-in-law side of the family, they, they are that family member. So it's good when you have a Stephanie in your life. May we all be so blessed with a Stephanie that you call when you need her and she's like, give me three, give me three seconds. I'll be there in three yeah. seconds. Also, you can't scare a breast cancer survivor mother of two teenagers. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, no like, chance. She, she doesn't have time for your bullshit. And Godspeed, she's a fucking 911 dispatch God. for years. They have got nerves of steel. They'll handle yes. anything. Like, that that man had uh, picked the wrong dog to bark at that day, oh, honestly. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly. Stephanie, you are a badass, and best of luck on your healing journey with with cancer and thank you for all that you do for everyone in the state where you live because 911 dispatchers that's a job I could never do and I'm very grateful to those that can do it because it's such a necessary position right thinking about just situations we've been in where I you know you're under that panic mode and I crumble <laughs> I'm like oh every day you're in a panic like every new call could be that panic mode situation yeah and the steely nerves it takes so we, like I said we should all be so lucky to have a Stephanie and thank you Amber for taking the time to write out her story so her legend may live on yes. and uh Stephanie we're uh we're rooting for you for sure you got this yes absolutely Well, thank you so much to everyone for sending in your Freaky Friday stories. If you have an odd but true story, maybe you've encountered Bigfoot, you've seen a UFO, you had a brush with true crime, or you've felt the presence of an otherworldly being, send them in at SinisterHood.com slash Freaky Friday. If you like our free episodes, you'll love our Patreon bonus content. You can join for free to see what we're up to next or dive into over 500 hours of bonus content, like our recent mini-sode on the tragedy associated with an old viral sensation. You can also head to SinisterHood.com and click shop on the top banner to check out Sinisterhood merch. We've got t-shirts, mugs, totes, stickers, and even clothes for your kiddos. If you missed it, we have a logo shirt that's on there. It's right up at the top. That's like our newest design. And uh, we also have stickers for you to put on your laptop. It's uh, it's getting to be close to Christmas season. Not yet, but it's always better to order early versus waiting till the last minute. So we were just saying as we were shopping recently, I'm going to just start buying gifts throughout the year. So then when it comes time to a birthday or a, or a holiday, I'm like, oh, I already got it. So SinisterHead.com, click on shop on the top banner. It feels weird to buy Christmas presents now because I like to give presents when I get them, but I'm putting them in my closet. Like when we tour and stuff, if I see something in our travels, I'm like, oh, this would be cool. I got to stick it away. So then come December, because I always wait until December, usually <laughs> mid-December to start ordering Christmas presents, I'll be ahead of the game. Right. It's like what I started buying 
cute cards for people that when I think of them, if it's like birthday or anniversary or thinking of you, I just stick them in my desk. And then I'm like, oh, it's so-and-so's oh, nice. birthday. I got a card for them. Bam. It's awesome. <laughs> Do yourself. That is awesome. I'm going to start doing that too because we go to a lot of places that have very cute cards. <laughs> and I, every time I was there, I'd be like, man, why? I'm, I don't need a card right now, but I will eventually. And I was like, I might yeah. as well nice hand-pressed artistic made card from Detroit versus like, I forgot and went to Albertson. Sorry. Here's one. Right. I love it. Well, you can also review the show while you're there, follow us on socials, and check out the episode description for more fun like topic-based playlists. And when we have live shows, there'll be links to live show tickets. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sinisterhood Pod and like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood. You can follow us on YouTube as well as TikTok at Sinisterhood Podcast. You can also order a custom personalized video shout out. Speaking of gifts, if you did not buy your gift in advance and you're like, oh shit, I got something to do now, nothing will be delivered. It's okay. Cameo has a 24 hour delivery option that you can select if it's like a sinisterhood fan in your life and you need a last minute gift it's always a good digital gift that you can send almost almost immediately but uh, go to cameo.com and search sinisterhood and let us know what message you want us to send and we would love to send a custom video shout out for you christy where are you at online i am on instagram at christy m wallace and tiktok at christy or gtfo heather i'm on the internet at heather versus the world as always the devil rules the airwaves Keep it creepy.